Hey friends, you're listening to the Remote Work Bestie Podcast. I'm your host, Daniela Flores. You might have seen me on CNBC, Time, BuzzFeed, or my blog, I Like to Dabble, talking about money, side hustles, and remote careers, because I'm pretty obsessed with demystifying and busting open all of the above. So what even is this podcast? Remote Work Bestie is here to challenge the traditional 9 to 5, 40-hour work week and help you navigate a more flexible way of working and living. Join me every week as I chat with experts and other Remote Work Besties to help you navigate the world of work and money in a non-boring, exposing, weird, and fun way. All right. Today, we're chatting with Katie from Money with Katie, all about one of my favorite topics, side hustles, how to start them, what we did, going full time, and more. So after I listened to your Money with Katie episode all about side hustles, I had to have you on the show. Um, (laughs) So I guess I'll start with like, what was your very first side hustle? It's a good question. So my first side hustle was teaching yoga. And I got into it because I had a friend that basically asked me when I first moved to Dallas, Texas, hey, do you like yoga. And I was like, I mean, I guess, like, I I guess I I like yoga. Sure. I'll come with you to a class. And so she like shares this free pass with me. We go together and I did, I really liked it. So I started going all the time and it was to one of these corporate mega gyms. And a couple months in, I was like, look, I can't keep paying for this membership. It's $149 a month, I think at the time, but I knew that people that worked there got free memberships. So I was like, okay, cool. Well, I really like this. I think I could teach it. I'm going to get certified, which was a whole nother thing of, you know, an expense. But once I did, I was able to teach. So I made a whopping, uh, let's see, $12 an hour teaching yoga, but I did get a free membership out of it, which was kind of the true value for me. And it ended up leading to a better job in fitness that I did part-time teaching at a different studio that was more boutique, not like a big conglomerate corporation that paid better. And I taught a different format for them, but it it's interesting because it started out. I mean, I think I made at most like 50 or 60 extra dollars a month in the beginning. And then toward the end of my, we'll say fitness side hustle career, it was like adding roughly a thousand dollars a month to the bottom line. So it, it went from insignificant to significant over the course of a couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, fitness memberships and memberships to gyms are so expensive. So I probably would have done the same and you get paid for like working out. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is like one of the things like when I was a server and like a cocktail waitress for a long time, like on the side, I was like, I get paid basically to work out. And when I stopped doing it, I gained weight. I was like, did you? Bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like this is some bullshit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was fun. It was a lot of work. It was definitely, it gave me a lot of respect for fitness professionals because it is a really difficult job, but it was an awesome experience. And I think it was kind of what opened my mind to this idea that you're not limited by what your full-time employer will pay you, especially early on where you don't have as much leverage or the ability to negotiate as much with your employer because you're not bringing a ton of experience to the table. I think that side hustles at that stage in my life, especially were really critical. When I first started in my career, I was severely underpaid um, without (laughs) knowing it. And I needed side hustles then, and then it, you know, morphed into something else. So talking about that, can you kind of go through like your whole journey through side hustle, least side hustle journey, people say, but side hustle journey. Yeah. Journey. And then like from then till now, you know, being acquired by morning brew, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So the fitness thing lasted, it started in 2018. So I did it in 
20, no, I'm sorry. 20, yeah, 2018. I started in 2018, did it 2018, 19, 20, 21. So I did it for about four years until I would have continued doing it, but I moved to somewhere else. And so didn't end up picking it back up at a studio here. Maybe I'll get, get back into it when I move again. But I, around that time, I started freelancing on the side as well. And I was a copywriter in my full-time job. So I had friends that were either starting their own businesses or doing their own things that they needed website help or copy help with. So I was doing things for them for either a percentage of revenue or a small fee. And those I would pick up kind of sporadically just based on word of mouth. And then my other big lucrative side hustle that I picked up in 2020 was doing project-based contract work for big companies where they would say, we need someone to work X hours a week on this one project for six months, and it's going to pay X dollars an hour. And so I went back to my full-time job and I asked my employer, Hey, this is a company that's not in our industry, completely different industry, completely different service or product. Is it okay if I also do this on the side? And they approved it, said it was fine. So I did that for several months and made tens of thousands of dollars that way through working with them. And then finally, uh, in mid 2020, I started money with Katie and it took about eight months to get it to a spot that it could be monetized. And then revenue was really great in 2021. And at the end of 2021, beginning of 2022 is when it was acquired by Morning Brew. And so it's been my full-time job now for like a year and a half. That is so cool. Like such a cool full-time job because it was your side hustle. Yeah. And like you got acquired by someone else to pay you to be this for your full-time job. Yeah. Such a wild turn of events. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really know how someone gets acquired by somebody like, or a brand like Morning Brew. And mm-hmm. I know there's probably g- details you can't share, but can mm-hmm. you share the things that you can? Yeah. They reached out to me in November of 2021 and basically said they wanted to talk about my content. And I figured it was going to be some sort of, Hey, do you want to ever write things for us or a consultancy type thing? Cause I knew that they were kind of, they do publish content about money. And I had worked in an affiliate relationship with them before to drive subscribers to their money scoop newsletter. So I kind of figured it was going to be more of that, but they basically said they were trying to bring creators in house and I was like, okay, interesting. So initially I was very reticent to the idea because I really liked having full ownership of what I was doing. And I saw the trajectory that I thought it could go down really and like how it was going so far. But through continuing to talk to them and negotiate what a package and what a structure for, it's technically called an aqua hire. So they acquire your intellectual property, but then they're also hiring you to basically continue running your business within the scope of their business. So it was effectively structured like a salary and a and upside. So a component of revenue effectively. And it was difficult. It really was difficult to make that decision and sign on the dotted line to kind of be like, okay, I'm relinquishing ownership of this thing now. But what I ultimately decided was that I would rather have 
at this phase in my life and with what I knew about running a media company, I'd rather have, you know, a percentage of a watermelon as opposed to a hundred percent of a grape, if that makes sense. I figured that it was probably a safe bet that together we could scale it much larger than I would be able to scale it on my own, or at the very least, we'd be able to scale a lot faster. And that has proven true. So that has been interesting. And I have learned a ton from operating within this sphere and and getting plugged in now to, I would say people that I don't think I would have gotten to meet otherwise. There are connections because now of my relationships with the founders of Morning Brew and some of the folks that work there, I'm meeting people and getting to work with people that I don't think I would have otherwise, or it would have taken me a lot longer. So it kind of felt like a shortcut in some ways. Obviously there are always cons to things like these two. You no longer own a hundred percent of your own company that has risks associated for sure. But I like this model a lot for people that want the fast track to really understanding how to build something up and how to get those connections earlier in life. I think it it's a good model for that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people underestimate when you go to full-time and you're running that business, like as a hundred percent yours, there's this like whole new beast of anxiety, at least that I felt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, you no longer work for a company that's responsible for the revenue that comes in and you know, you get your stable paycheck each week, no matter what that company is doing with their revenue. Mm-hmm to 100% business ownership where you're responsible for both the revenue and being able to pay yourself after you pay the people that help you mm-hmm. and you know navigating it yourself and all that stuff. So having a company like Morning Brew to help you scale it and walk you through all those things and you get to share that responsibility. Yeah, it's like, that's definitely. just huge for some people, especially it would be for me because that's like some days I'm like, oh, is this worth it? <laughs> totally. I think that it's so important that we talk honestly about that. The other piece that was really challenging and scary in the beginning was that there's an almost psychological pressure that doubles or triples when you take something full-time in the sense that when it's just a side hustle, the stakes feel a lot lower as in if it doesn't work out or if it doesn't go well, it doesn't feel as much like a failure because you you never truly gave it your all when it's a side hustle. It was by definition something you did on the side. But if you go full force at something and you declare that it's going to be a full-time thing, now you have no one to blame but yourself if it fails or that's how it feels, right? It's like, well, I gave it my all and it still didn't work. And I think that concern of mine in the beginning of, wow, will devoting more time to this actually make it better? Or how terrible will it feel if I have been telling myself all along, oh, this is great on the side, but I could make it so much better if it was my full-time job. Well, if that's not true, that's quite a bit of cognitive dissonance that you then have to contend with. And I think it really can mess with your self-esteem. So there was that aspect in the mix for me as well in this big emotional morass of what do I do? What do I not do? And thankfully the bet that I made has so far over the last 18 months paid off and it has, it has worked out the way that I thought it would, but I definitely 
that resonates with me a lot. I have a, I do feel a tremendous amount of pressure every day to make this the absolute best it can be. And while I'm thankful for that, and it's not that I wouldn't rather have it any other way, but there are certainly times where I look back on my quote unquote old life and feel a little bit nostalgic just for how, frankly, how little I was able to really care and still net the same result. I was getting the paycheck either way. I didn't have to be thinking about it all hours of the day. When I took time off, I was truly taking time off. There's no such thing as time off anymore. Even if you're not actively working, you're still probably thinking about your business. So I think there's a certain personality type that that works well for. And then others who might find that that's not actually what they want for themselves. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I remember thinking back to my quote unquote old life and yeah, yeah, like I had it on the side and yes, I was taking it seriously, but I had the luxury of getting a steady paycheck and that career, like, you know, that I had, that I could go back to if something were to go wrong, it just didn't seem like it was as high of stakes. And Mm -hmm. I was always thinking, well, I can make this so much better if I went full-time, I could do all these things. And then it's like that separation of corporate from corporate too. It's like, oh, I'm doing this new thing. And at the same time on social media, when I was trying to make the decision to go full-time, I kind of got split in my head because you get pressured by the entrepreneurship community, I guess, about how much <laughs> yeah. quote, unquote, better it is to be oh, a full-time you have business so owner. so much time freedom. It's like, really? Where's my time freedom? I'm like, all I do is work. Right. Exactly. And it's like, I would <gasps> glamorize and fixate on what could be, which yeah. was wrong to do anyway. Um and thinking of all these and reading all these other experiences other people had mm-hmm. that wouldn't have been close to mine anyway, because people are different <laughs> and I work very yeah. differently. I get burned out really quickly. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's not really much of a work-life balance when you're a business. I mean, I try. I really do yeah, try. And same. I like, restrict myself on the weekends. Hardcore. I try. And before I thought I was working so much with my job, which I worked from like six to two every day. And I did have like a like a stop, like a full stop. The company I worked for was very good about, you know, making sure people didn't work all the time or they just really kind of took care of their workers. And I took that for granted, I think. And I worked like on my side hustle four hours a day or so after that. And yeah. I thought that I was always working. I felt like I was always working. Yeah. But now I'm working the same amount. That is exactly my experience. I thought the same thing. Initially, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have so much time on my hands. What am I going to do with myself? I've been used to having multiple jobs for years, just focusing on this one thing. I'm going to be so bored. Like what was wrong with, I don't know what I was thinking, or maybe I just didn't have a good understanding of what it's like to be all in on one thing, but it's also could just be a personality type thing. That's kind of the other thing this has taught me is that I really respect business owners and employers who can take that approach where they're like, we don't, we have strong boundaries and we don't want people working all the time. And that is, I have a hard time with that. My, I have one speed, you know, I'm always kind of going. And so I have a hard time with, if it's Saturday and I'm working on something, I'm not even thinking before I'm like firing things off in Slack. And I'm sure the people that work with me are like, leave me alone. (laughs) And it's not that I am expecting a reply, but it doesn't even cross my mind that I could be violating their boundary of like, it's a Saturday, right? So I think that my, it's something I'm working on. My inability to 
disengage from work, I think bleeds over onto the team. And so I now have a lot of empathy for people, other people that, you know, before I would look at that and judge and be like, oh my gosh, that is so disrespectful. And I'm like, oh, it's actually when you're that into your own business, it's very hard to fully turn it off. And yeah, it's, it's, that has also surprised me about my own approach to work now that I'm in these shoes. I've done the same thing, like in notion with my virtual assistant, it'll be like Sunday. And I'm like, don't look at this until tomorrow, but yeah, I, it's like in my head and I have to get it out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is exactly. And sometimes I'll try to schedule them for Monday, but yeah, same deal where it's hard to, you got to kind of walk the walk. And sometimes I think that I do a bad job of that. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, take, take vacations, take breaks. And then I don't. And it's like, well, that's not really setting a great example for anyone. <laughs> Yeah. I try to take vacations and take breaks. And then all of a sudden it's like, I have something in my head and I have to go on my phone and then like yeah. do a post about it or schedule something about it just really quick. Because if I don't, I'm going to forget to do it later. Totally. Yeah. Yep. So in your own experience, going back to side hustles, what are some side hustles that like are a complete no, like stay away from them mm. by all means, like run the other direction. Ah, uh, you know, I, I guess I'd hesitate to well, we'll say MLMs. Say MLMs are a flat no for me. We just did a huge episode on MLMs. But other than those, I'm hesitant to say anything should ever be a flat no, but I think that there is something to be aware of in the sense that any time you are just trading time for money, the side hustle is going to be inherently limited. And for some people that might actually be okay. If you are just trying to make a certain amount every month, you're not trying to leverage that side hustle to become a larger source of income in the future, or it's, you're just trying to use it to bridge a gap. Yeah. A, a part-time job that pays an hourly wage or driving for Uber or something like that will probably satisfy that requirement. And I do think that there are ways to approach every job in such a way that you could really make it work well for you. But I tend to try to find side hustles and encourage side hustles where there is some upside built in, where you have the opportunity for either linear growth or parabolic growth. So in the fitness instructor world, the difference between my initial fitness instructor job, which was a flat $12 an hour, it didn't matter how many people were in the class. It didn't matter how good that class was. I was getting paid $12 for the class. Whereas with my second fitness job, we got a flat rate of $25 an hour, but then we also got $2 per person that was in the class. So if you had a full class of 50 people, you made, you know, now I'm trying to do fast math. I'm going to embarrass myself. $125 for a 45 minute class. And you had the opportunity if you were successful enough over time to get $3 ahead or $350 ahead. So I think in those cases, trading time for money, there's still some upside baked in and it's still actually kind of a good swap. But the reason that I like digital side hustles, digital businesses, blogs, YouTube channels, content creation in general is because it just opens the door to so many different ways to earn. There are so many opportunities and we're doing an episode about the creator economy soon. And I recognize that it's not for everybody, obviously not everyone wants to you know, create content, but I do think that it it is interesting in the sense that you can 
do pay for play deals where a brand is going to pay you to post about something. You can be an affiliate for a product you like and get paid almost like a commission style. You can get paid for views. Like if you're a YouTuber and you've monetized a channel now, it doesn't, you don't have to handle your own ads. Google AdSense will do it for you. If you're a blogger, same deal. You can even, I've even seen some like really interesting things that people have done where they build up a big audience and then they don't have ads or affiliates, but they invest in the companies, small private companies that they are talking about. So they're in, they are creating ownership stakes in the companies that they're posting about with the proper disclaimers, but then they're getting a large percentage of like overall company revenue and they have, they're building equity in something. So I just think there are so many different ways to earn online. And it's often accretive in the sense that your blog post you write a year ago is still going to drive traffic to your site today. If it's optimized well, if it's written well, if it is getting traction in search. So your work doesn't disappear after the hour is over. You don't collect your money for that hour and move on. It's it's a little higher leverage. That's kind of my two cents on that. Yeah. I, that's so interesting about people that build up an audience and then have ownership stakes in the companies that they're like promoting. Yeah, so then they're getting paid that way, which is like really cool. I've seen like a lot of creators on TikTok do this. Oh, and- really? Yeah, it's a couple of them in like the career coaching space because they're also working with other people to build up, of course, AI related products that help people with their career search or, you know, their career development. So it's, Mm -hmm. and now with so many no code tools and AI, it's more accessible to build those things quickly and with other people more than like it's been in the past. Oh yeah. There's a gal named Tara Reed who has a company, no code. She basically helps people do that build apps without code. I think that is the name of it, apps without code, but it's a, it's a really cool concept and premise. And I don't, I'm not super familiar with the space, but I think that it's, there's probably more opportunity out there to do things like that than you would initially think, because it's not as commonly talked about just in the mainstream as it probably should be for, for the level of opportunity that's there. Right. Yeah. It's, I guess it is a semi new or just one that's not talked about much because usually people that talk about blogging or YouTubing or starting a content creation side hustle, they talk about the normal monetization streams of like ads, affiliates, sponsorships, mm-hmm. products, you know, that's like the stuff they, yeah. they start with or subscriptions like on Substack or any of those other platforms where it's like a paywall in front of whatever content it is which, you know, when you start these things, you're not getting paid from the first day. It's going to take some time to build it up. But yeah, you have like with your vision, you have that momentum to keep going, especially if it's something that you want to build, like it's just something you want to explore or if it's going to help you with your own career, if it's something related. Don't start a content creation side hustle for money because I mean, exactly. Yeah, there's not really much. Point, I it's guess, honestly that way. like a, it's it is a business. It's like a regular business in the sense that it's not going to be profitable right away. You're going to do a lot of unpaid work before you start getting paid, and in some ways, it is an endurance game because I think that yes, there is a certain personality type. There's a certain brain, I guess, or interest level of passion, whatever you want to call it, that is going to have an easier time of it. But I think that. If you're not prepared to spend at least a year doing it for free, don't do it because it usually is going to take like around a year to start monetizing in any meaningful way. 
Yeah, absolutely. Especially for like search when you're building your domain authority and like Google doesn't really start to rank your articles or your video content until like it's more established on the web and has more engagement because it Mm -hmm. will measure those things. And I mean, you could do it with social media if you're able to build up an audience, but a lot of times the click-throughs from social media isn't going to be what you expect. I think if I were starting over today, I probably would have started building on YouTube because that is a platform where it's kind of perfect for it. You have the algorithm on your side. It, it functions like a search tool. There is so much content about how to make good YouTube videos. It monetizes itself and it's a sticky platform. People get really into YouTubers. And so if you can build an audience, they're typically very dedicated. And I think it's one of the easiest places to then pivot people to digital products or courses or more paid type acquisition funnels, as opposed to Instagram and TikTok, where I think the way that people use those platforms as consumers is far more passive than when you're going on YouTube and you're sitting down, you're going to watch something for a couple of minutes in many cases, which is like an eternity compared to a 30 second reel or a carousel swipe through. So I regret not spending more time on YouTube and we're paying for it now. We really are. Like we're struggling to build up a YouTube business because we just, we didn't pay attention to it for too long. And we haven't dedicated the resources and the energy to get really good at making videos. But I know it's one of those things where once you crack the code, it is an extremely powerful channel. YouTube is like, as soon as I watch one video from somebody, YouTube will not stop showing me that person. And like for months later, months, and it's like, I I just watched the one video for like a tutorial. That's it. I don't need the rest of it. But it's like, YouTube's like, watch more. The promotion is all on them, which is awesome. And if you notice, most of the top creators that are out there are YouTubers. I think Jake Paul is like scum of the earth personally, (laughs) but he's huge. Mr. Beast. Emma Chamberlain, a lot of these people that are are the ones that have like really, truly built incredible empires that are product, digital, they're like borderline actual celebrities now. Mm-hmm. They all came from that platform. So I just think that there's something really, really powerful about YouTube. And like I said, it's not content creation is not for everyone. It's just in my mind, one of those lower barrier to entry side hustles that if it's something that interests you and if you have fun with it is in my mind, a no brainer to at least try. And if you hate it, or if you do it for a long time and it's not working, okay, no problem, but you gave it a shot. Right. And usually making long form content makes you a better thinker too, because you have to really put a lot of energy into developing your point of view and kind of gives you a creative outlet. Oh yeah, absolutely. And plus you could use all the content from the long form for like other content. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I need to get on like my YouTube game on. I created a YouTube. There's like tutorials on there, a couple, but that's it. I do yeah. did shorts for a little bit and I was like, you know, lost the momentum, but I'll get back yeah. into it. It's tough. Well, videos, that's partially why. I mean, video it's a lot harder to make a video than a blog post because a video is basically a blog post that you're performing and then editing and producing so it's it's tough i mean we have several people on our team that work in our videos and it is by far the most labor intensive part of what we do yeah absolutely writing is a lot easier for me than video creation is 
and short form video creation because the time spent on those, even though it's like 30 seconds or 60 seconds, it'll take me hours for like, just because I'll mess up a bunch of times. I want to change what I said, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. Or there's a glitch when I'm uploading it. But I mean, all these side hustles, I know they're not get rich quick things. So if people want to start a side hustle where it's like they need money, you know, if it's sooner rather than later, you need money Mm -hmm. like by next month for some medical bill, then Mm -hmm. you probably shouldn't go start a blog. But they should definitely, you know, watch out for get rich things like MLMs, like, you know, the people that slide into your DMs telling you you have some great crypto thing going on. (laughs) Like, you know, stay away from MLMs for men. (laughs) NFTs. Yeah. But it's like, then I started to think like throughout my years of side hustling, because I've been side hustling since I was a teenager, because I always wanted to find a way to make extra money. And I just did not know how to manage my money. So I always would like Mm -hmm. make up for my bad mistakes. Mm -hmm, Totally. Like all those years, especially now recently, where I've just been in such like an analysis kind of hole of things where, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a ton of articles I've been working on for clients where it is like analysis heavy. So I've been thinking of side hustles in a new light that I didn't before, where the rise of side hustles in America, as well as the UK and a couple other countries is because maybe like the rising cost of living, like mm-hmm. people need to pay a shit ton for healthcare, right. childcare, right. people have like total, I don't know how much it is for student loans total, but I mean, some people have hundreds of thousands of dollars of student yep. loans and wealth inequality. I mean- capitalism we can go on and on and on Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I was looking into other countries that they don't have the same rise so Mm. recently I had Vanessa from Wander Onwards on the podcast who moved to Germany and Germany has all these great laws where they take care of their people and their workers and (laughs) I know right and they have a law where if somebody is self-employed on the side part-time they can't work more than 20 hours a week I think and in addition to that they are like capped at a certain income amount. And it's so weird that like the government also has this like government built in union. So everybody's in a union where after 5 p.m., if your employer asks you to do something, you can actually go after them. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, wait, but they still like- Oh my gosh. Yeah, people still have side hustles there, but it's like, it's not to this extent of people in America. Like sometimes they'll do two, three side hustles on the side of their job and they're burning out just to like make ends meet. When I think about this more broadly, I almost think about it into like, not all side hustles are created equal, right? Yeah. If we're talking about me as a 22 year old that just wants a little extra money for beer and I'm like, I'm going to become a yoga instructor. That is far less bleak than yeah. I'm a single mom and I have three part-time jobs that all pay me $8 an hour. That to me is, I mean, in general, when you look at the rise of side hustles, I think there's two sides of the coin where it is either indicative that things are economically becoming worse, that people need multiple jobs to be able to maintain a a decent standard of living. But I think that it depends on where you're looking on the socioeconomic spectrum, because my own engagement in side hustles was not really because I was being underpaid. It was just because I had these aspirations for early retirement and I was trying to hurry it up. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to say where the causal relationship is happening and and how much of it is things are getting worse and people actually need more money and thing people now have higher aspirations because now they're more aware of what's out there and they see the wealth inequality so they're trying to get a leg up like i just don't know what is really at the heart of it but i do think that what is a little bit 
disheartening and sad is that we can use side hustles for good, but I do think that there comes a point in your life where you probably want to be asking larger questions if you feel like you need one. Like at some point, your full-time income, your career, your whatever, I think should be giving you enough upside and enough long-term growth opportunity and enough compensation that you're not having to spend extra hours outside of work working. And I think about when I went to Scandinavia and saw people in Denmark just hanging out at 10 PM on a Tuesday in Copenhagen, and they were all normal looking middle-aged people that were almost certainly employed, but just hanging out with their friends outside (laughs) on a Tuesday. And I'm like, what is this? What, what, what am I witnessing here? I'm like, this is amazing. Like it's a school night guys. What are you doing? But I just think there's such a different approach to life and work in Western and Northern Europe, especially that is just a little healthier. And I feel super almost brainwashed by the way that we treat work in the U S I've had to really (laughs) check myself and my expectations and what I'm willing to do. But people have side hustles for different reasons. Sometimes you'll do one because you just really enjoy doing it on the side. But I think if it is truly like a, you know, oh, I think it's a short-term solution that should hopefully help you level up a full-time thing in the future, as opposed to something that you should always have for your whole life. Oh, right. Yeah. These aren't things that people should be doing their whole lives. I mean, cause mm-hmm. Yeah, you got a life to live. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, hopefully. Goodness right. Gracious. <laughs> and it's I so mean, funny. Come like, on. Yeah, Americans are workaholics. I worked on a team at my last employer where we all worked from different countries. Brazil and Ireland and Canada were, and us, America, were all in the same team together. Oh, and wow. the folks in Ireland, like, when somebody would ask, like, you get a meeting invite and it's like two hours after your day should have ended, I would mm-hmm. still need to be required. If that were to happen to the people in Ireland or they they were also on the invite, it's just a flat no. Mm-mm. No questions asked either because they were also protected in their country uh, for those they're things. They're like, we're going to sue the employer for asking <laughs> us to come to this meeting right. that's after work. Like, absolutely not. But at the same time, I have my manager texting me like, hey, yeah. this is this is emergency. Just like cover, jump in. I'm like, okay, sure. I can do it really. Good. It's a half hour, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it's like, if I say no, then it's like, what if all these other things happen? Like, you know, just a myriad of things. Like maybe I'll be a certain bias towards me that I don't step up or do mm-hmm. extra. Right. Maybe, yeah. Maybe my name is out of the ring for a promotion. Right. Or It's scary. That's the complexity because yeah. the ability to do more and just quote unquote, step up and to go above and beyond is what enables you in the United States to have an outsized chance of, or not an outsized chance of success, but a chance for outsized success that you can really hustle and be exceptional and grind, 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 grind. And like, there is a shot that you'll end up making a million bucks a year. Sure. That's possible. But it's also, to me, it's one of those things where I almost envision it. Like there's a higher floor and a lower ceiling where, because there isn't that hard cutoff where it's just like, no, we just don't do that. There is a rule against that. Now it makes it a personal question that you now have to contend with of what risk am I taking on by not going above and beyond? What am I putting on the line by saying no to this? And I think Mm -hmm. that that's where the protections can be so valuable where 
sure, maybe now you're not, if you're in Germany and there's a literal cap on how much you can work part-time, okay, maybe you want to work a hundred hours a week and that's going to make that harder for you. But like at, at the very least, it means that you're not going to be put in a position by someone else to have to work a hundred hours a week. So it's a double-edged sword. Oh yeah. Like it's a double-edged sword between the culture in America and what we feel, I guess we have to do. I don't know. It's like, when I think about all this causal effect for side hustles, it's like, okay, yeah, because like cost of living is getting Mm -hmm. higher. Yeah. And then people want to start something of their own, or maybe you want to, it goes like hand in hand with your career, or if it's something you want to eventually do full-time, or if you're on the, you know, fast track to retirement and you follow the financial independence, retire early movement, which is, yeah, why I got into so many side hustles at one time for a while and it burned me me out. I was like, you know what? I don't know if I can retire by three. It's like, I will be so like depleted if I really try that hard. So it's also kind of like, I think I hit a point where I was like, I had to actually ask myself, but Katie, do you not want to work at all? Like, is that really the goal is doing nothing? The goal And it was like, no, no, it's not the goal. Like that actually, I don't think would make me happy doing nothing. I think I'm happy with the spot that I'm in now. I think that I'm a lot closer to the lifestyle that I'd want long-term, but Mm -hmm. I do frequently ask myself that question of what would you do if you did not have to work for income? Like if you had an unlimited bank account, there were $10 million in your account tomorrow and you knew that you would never need to work again, no question, then what changes would you make? And I think for me, the ultimate, ultimate goal is getting to the point where I have more balance and optionality around what I'm producing, when I'm producing it, how much the team is producing, actually taking breaks. We we produce a new episode every week, rain or shine, vacation or not, there is going to be a new episode of the show on the on the pod. And so we don't do reruns. And I think that there are times where I just think my ultimate goal is to get to the point where when money is no object, I'm going to pull back a little bit and only produce things that truly interest me and not not just based on a schedule. But I think it's important to continuously ask yourself that question because frankly, in my case and probably in other people's cases too, some of the things that you think you would do if you had unlimited funds are things that you could probably start doing a little bit more of now. If you're not putting the pressure on yourself to retire early and if you're not saying I need enough money to never work again because, oh, by the way, I don't actually want to never work again, well, suddenly it's not as important that you make as much money as possible right now. You can taper back and achieve some of that balance earlier in life. And that's probably counterintuitive coming from a personal finance side hustle (laughs) obsessor, but it's been a personal thing that I've been working on over the last year is taking a step back and being like, remind me what the point of all this was again. Oh yeah. Let's revisit the end goal So we aren't losing the forest for the trees. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like ask yourself, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. Because I mean, at the beginning, it could be exciting and then you get a momentum and then a routine Mm -hmm. and then you kind of lose sight, especially like in the stress of it all, lose sight of like why you're doing it. What's the end goal here? It's so easy to lose perspective. Oh yeah. And it's like, 
these people that do get to retire at like 40 and they are living like on the beach somewhere. Usually they, most of them will move to like a lower cost of living area or Mexico, Philippines. Yeah. Yeah. Panama. Right. And so they accommodate their specific income that they've set that they can withdraw to fund their lives. Basically, mm-hmm. I guess it's like more the beginning of the movement where now it's a little bit more lax where there is a combination of things that you can do. But in the mm-hmm. beginning, when I first found it, it was just all of these like people that had really, really high salaries. Yeah. So they can, they could sift like 75% of their paycheck and they were retiring pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And that was like it. When you're done, you're done. Then I saw a personal finance blogger came out it was a couple of years ago and it's like, I'm coming out of early retirement because they had these I things happen I in their life. I remember this. Was this the person who ended up getting a divorce? Yeah. I don't want to say the name, but I think so. <laughs> I just remember reading a long blog post that was like a confessional of someone mm-hmm. being like, I retired early, exactly like you're describing. And he was like, the first year was amazing. It was everything I thought it would be. The second year, things kind of started to go wrong. By the third year, my wife and I were splitting up and it was just, it was harrowing. And Mm -hmm. I remember thinking, okay, I love that this person is being so honest about this because the more that I've sat with that desire and the more that I've tried to get to the root of that desire in my own life, I realized that it was so much more about security and the feelings of security and stability than it was about a desire to never do labor ever again. I was just afraid because I felt very exposed and vulnerable as an adult with very little money. If I get into a car accident, I could be medically bankrupt. If I split up from my husband, if my child has special needs, like there are all these things that happen all the time that if they happen to you can be so financially damaging and they make you so dependent on your paycheck that you feel trapped. And I was so afraid of feeling trapped. And I realized that that was really what I was trying to get away from, not work in general. And I've kind of come to the conclusion now, especially after seeing some of these people that have fired and then lived to tell the tale and said, hey, this is not in my life. It was not everything I thought it was going to be. It has helped me really revise my own philosophy about these things and kind of come to the conclusion that human beings are not meant to do nothing. Like you're not intent, your brain and your body are not designed for a life of constant unchallenged leisure. Like your brain wants a problem to solve. You want a goal to work toward that, that makes you, it literally produces dopamine. And so it, it psychologically makes you feel good and engaged in your life. And so I think that work can be a very valuable thing, but it is especially valuable when it's happening on your terms and you don't feel as though you don't have a choice in the matter. I think that's where it can become damaging and scary, but I think we tend to kind of throw out the baby with the bathwater when we like jerk it to the other end of the spectrum. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's like work is, is a good thing, but it's like more about how we work. I mean, just like you said, it's on your own terms. For me, I needed the time freedom. That's what Mm -hmm. really got me for a while. And I got some of it with my job, but it didn't last long. So, and it wasn't full-time freedom. And I got to a place where financially I was like, all right, retirement in like the next 10 years or the next 15 or 20 years. I don't know if I'm really comfortable with that, even with like doing side projects also. Yeah. I wasn't really comfortable with that because it's like, I see all these things that are rising cost of living and I, we have things in our family where it's 
like we have high medical bills that will yeah. get higher. We yeah. have like a ton of pets and they're yeah. expensive. And <laughs> yes, they are. Yeah. And we bought a house like a couple of years ago and it was my first house. And I was like, oh shit, mortgage payments. And it's like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to pay off my house anytime soon. Right. I'm not one of those people trying to pay off my house because it's like, that would you probably have a great make... interest rate. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I do actually. Um, it's the lowest I've ever seen, but now it's Amazing. like, Amazing. we're going to so have to like, keep yeah, it. I'm in no rush. <laughs> but also it's like, when I see a new house I want and we want to move to, I'm like, oh, now's not the time. But <laughs> I saw an article in the wall street journal about this last night, how so many homeowners are in that boat right now where they are kind of quote unquote stuck. They have the golden handcuffs mm -hmm. of like, I have this amazingly low interest rate. And so even though I want to get something else, I, a, the prices are still pretty inflated. So you feel like mm -hmm. you're overpaying and you're getting an interest rate that's twice as high. So it's has this, you know, artificial constraint on supply. Anyway, that's a tangent, but you're not alone. I, I've just read something <laughs> about this. Oh yeah. I could do a whole tangent about this. Oh my God. Especially like with my friends that are buying houses now and the oh. amount of money people like will offer for over asking price and the like, the stakes that you're like the people you're combating, like going against for this house. And like, everybody's putting like $50,000, $100,000 over asking price. And it's like, what? It's like bananas. A place where I'm from St. Louis, a whole house costs a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we're still renting we're, we we thought about buying, but I, I could not make the numbers work. I was like the, the prices of these homes that we would feel comfortable buying and the interest rate, it just doesn't make any sense. And beyond that, I have a weird relationship with renting where I am more willing to splurge on a place I'm going to rent for 12 months mm -hmm. than a house I'd be buying because I have a lot more reassurance and I feel more confident about what my income is going to be over the next 12 months. So it's like, okay, this is kind of pricey, but like, I know it's still under this threshold for what my income is almost guaranteed to be 12 months from now. I don't want to buy a whole ass house based on what my income is right now. Cause I don't know what my income is going to be 10 years from now. And I don't want to be stuck trapped, trying to still earn the same amount if I don't want to anymore so that I can afford a house that I bought when I was making a lot of money. So that was the other thing is that I have a hard time bringing myself to kind of settle down. And I, we would just buy very conservatively in order for me to feel comfortable with it. And at this stage in my life, I'm like, no, I still want to I want a hot tub. I want to live on the water. I want to have yeah. the extra bedroom for recording. And I don't want to put down $250,000 to make that happen as an owner. So here we are. But these are questions that are so important to ask yourself and to not just do one or the other because you feel like you should or you shouldn't. Oh yeah. This is such a good conversation. I want to have a whole podcast episode about this. It's like, we like the house that we're in yet now, but good. it's like, good. we were, we moved at a time where like the supply was really strapped, I guess the same as, as it is now. And we did get really close to the water and we got it at a time where it was a lot cheaper than it is now. Amazing. Like our house went up, the equity went up a ton, but nice. I don't know how long it's going to stay there, but it's like the same time we're looking at houses or we do want to eventually move to Canada. And it's like, well, that place is even more expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's, it's a great point. How timing matters so much for that. And I, I do follow some real estate investing trends and, you know, I follow people that talk about real estate investing and there are a lot of them right now that are like, yeah, we're not really buying thing, anything mm -hmm. right now because 
again, we're having a hard time making the numbers work. And I think that that is, it's just important to be realistic about these things and to not want to rush into it. Even at real estate investing itself is a side hustle, right? That is, yeah. I, I consider it a side hustle rather than passive income because you are going to work for that money, right? It is, you're, mm-hmm. a, you're taking on risk. You have to put in a lot of work up front to understand how real estate investing works, to get to know people in your area if you want to be successful with it. So there is so much that goes into that as well. And yeah, I think that there are times where some side hustles make more sense than others. And that is one to me that I look at that I'm like, I can't make the numbers work for that. Yeah, like absolutely. That is not a side hustle that I think I should be involved with. Right. Like, um, buying my own house and like doing the managing of this, this house is like, I don't want to do that for another house. And yeah, it's far from passive. That's a whole job. That's a whole ass job. Whole ass job. (laughs) Yeah. Like you got to like tenants probably will call you in the middle of the night to probably get something fixed. Like your work-life balance is going to go down the drain. (laughs) Yeah. And like, you'll probably feel like it's worth it in 20 years from now. But again, it's like, is it truly to me just comes down to where do I think that I can have the highest leverage use of my time? Mm-hmm. What is going to be the best use of my time? And when we were thinking about buying and doing a live and flip or buying a duplex and house hacking and all this, I kind of just had to get real with myself and be like, dude, you have a successful business. You are going to be 10 times better served by putting more of your time and energy into that than trying to spread yourself into these different domains and try to go from zero to one with mm-hmm. a house hacker, a live and flipper, taking on this new thing that is frankly like really outside your domain of expertise. Could mm-hmm. I spend the time to learn it and figure it out and find a deal and do it and blah, 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 blah. Sure, but at what cost? Like, okay, we're gonna cash flow $200 a month big deal. We sign one sponsor and we make 15 times that in a week of work. So I think it's just about assessing those things for yourself and saying like, if I have all these different levers in front of me, where does my effort actually go the furthest? Where is there the most disproportionate ROI on my time and effort based on what I'm good at and the opportunities available to me? Absolutely. Because if that's for just a cash flow of $200 a month, I've made $200 in a weekend house sitting on Rover. So they could just house literally, it instead. <laughs> literally. So like, I, t- I completely understand that. It's like, oh, well, there's depreciation that you can write off and there's this and there's that. It's like, yeah, I get that. I know yeah. that there's more to it. And I know that you will eventually have a paid off property. Okay. As it takes a long time. It's not an overnight thing. And to your point, there are, there are so many different ways to make extra money. And for some people that is like their bread and butter. They love it. They're into it. I, I don't know if you know, Mindy from bigger pockets, mm-hmm. but oh my God, she's like obsessed with real estate. And I yes. love that for her. I mean, she's, I've never met someone who loves real estate more. And I'm like, that is perfect for you. Like, I'm so happy that you've found your thing, but there, I think in the entrepreneurial spaces online and finance online, all of it, there are, there are these certain things that like, we kind of push people toward content Mm -hmm. creation being one of them, like me 30 (laughs) minutes ago, guilty of that being like YouTube, but me too, (laughs) but there's there it's, it's not for everybody and it's not going to work for everybody. So I don't know. I just, I encourage, I think a lot of self-awareness and reflection both in myself and in others when trying to determine these things. Oh yeah, absolutely. So if a friend, family member, your partner, like came to you today and be like, Hey, I need a side hustle. What was like, what's the first thing you're going to say to them or ask them? 
I would probably ask them, okay, is this something that you eventually want to use as a launch pad to leave your current job? Or is this something where you need $500 right now? Because how you answer that question is going to change my answer. If it's a launch pad to something else, you need to start building something that you have ownership of that has the ability to scale. Blog was the example. That's what I did, right? But that's, that is one example of a thousand. If it's something where you just need extra money on the side, I would probably ask them of the skill set that you're currently using for your full-time job, is there a way for you to do that in a contractor or a freelancer capacity? Can you do this on the side for someone else as an independent contractor, 1099? Because if that skill is transferable or part of your skill is transferable, that is a much easier sell to other people. It's much easier to just get up and go. For example, there was someone that we worked with when we were developing our wealth planner, where there were some pretty complex charts that I needed help with, and I didn't have the Excel expertise to build them confidently. So we hired an Excel freelancer and we paid him tens of thousands of dollars to help us get this product over the finish line. We went back and forth four months. So this person who's probably a consultant or a data analyst in his full-time job made tens of thousands of dollars to help me with Excel. So I think that there are things like that where there are probably things that you're doing in your full-time job that you're really good at that you don't even realize someone else would pay money for. Same with like consultants who are really good at building decks. If you're mm -hmm. amazing at PowerPoint, I had like a baby side hustle on the side when I was working full-time with a bunch of older people that were getting their executive MBAs and they would have to be building out PowerPoints all the time. And they would pay me hundreds of dollars to take information they put in a Word document and make it into a PowerPoint presentation for them. And for them, it was worthwhile because they needed the time back. And for me, I'm like, oh my God, $200, I'll do anything. Like I'm 22, mm -hmm. I don't care. So I think that, that's probably where I would suggest looking first. If you are just looking for money is what skill sets are you using in your full-time job that you can outsource and offer as an independent contractor? I love that advice because that's where I started too, was what, mm -hmm. like at least freelancing. Cause I did all these yeah. side hustles and gig things, but yeah. with freelancing, I started with web development. Cause that's what I was doing at my full-time job. Amazing. And it was very and it valuable great. skill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> paid great. I can, I use it to this day in my business yeah. now. So I've been asking the guests here on the show recently, what is the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you at work, in a side hustle, in your business, maybe in Money with Ooh, Katie now? The weirdest thing. Okay, I have two. One is from my former full-time job. I worked for an airline. And so I would say this is just, it was kind of like a fun, unexpected thing that I got to do because I worked there we did this like inside tour of a 737 and got to like sit in the engine and go into the cargo hold under the plane and like fully see parts of an aircraft that like most people will never see. And I remember just thinking, this is such a fun aspect of having a job in an industry like aviation, because these are things that like, I, I never thought I cared about the airline industry. I never thought I gave a shit about planes aside from being afraid of them and having a phobia of flying. But I really was thankful for that job because it showed me that you don't have to grow up thinking, oh my God, I want to be a pilot. I love planes. I'm like an av geek, whatever. 
but in being in that job and seeing the inner workings of that industry, it really engendered a love of the airline industry in me and an appreciation for just how complicated it is to run an airline, the amount of capital, the logistics. I don't think there is a single other industry on this planet that is more intricate and complex than running an airline and the way they make money and like how low margin it actually is. I mean, it was just, it was an incredible experience. It really changed my perspective on what it means to like follow your passion. Cause I think you can develop a passion for something once you get kind of under the hood, literally or metaphorically. That's one thing. The other thing that was kind of crazy that happened in the last year I'll do speaking engagements every so often, and I charge different amounts based on the client. So Mm -hmm. it's like a sliding scale. If it's like a college or even a high school, a nonprofit, those I do for free. If it's a small business or a club or an organization that is for profit, I'll charge some small amount. But if it's like Google or a company like Google, I'm like, rubbing my hands mm-hmm. together. How deep are your pockets? What's the budget? Right. Cause I know that you've got a budget for speakers. And I always just ask that first, like, what's your budget? And I've gotten a wide range of answers, but I had someone pay me $5,000 for a 30 minute virtual presentation. That was such a light bulb moment for me of like, there are no rules when it comes to this stuff. Similarly, we tried to get Sally Krawcheck of Elvis to come on and do something for us. And she charges for 45 minutes of her time. And I was like, oh my God, you can make a full ass career just from like speaking engagements. Once you reach a certain echelon of like fame or notoriety or whatever. So Mm -hmm. that was something that I was just freaking blown away by when it comes to like, there's no set market rate. You -hmm. can do it for free or you can do it for five grand or anywhere in between. And at least at my level. I don't think I could get more than five. That was by far the most someone had ever paid me for this. But I always ask, I'm like, what's your budget? Because that usually gives you a sense for like what you can ask for when uh, it's a little bit unclear. So that was kind of crazy. Oh my God. Sally's making some, some people's whole year salary in right? 45 minutes. I mean, go her. Like I was, yeah, we her. were like, oh, sorry. That's out of our budget. <laughs> just a little bit, you know? <laughs> We're like, we'll pay you in gum. No, I'm just kidding. I think we probably offered her like five or 10 and then yeah, 40. I was like, oh, okay. Well, maybe I'm undercharging. Right. Yeah. I, I need to increase my rates. Yeah. That's the takeaway is charge more because they're out there doing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There are some like very famous people that will get a million bucks for a speaking engagement. I'm like, God, that's so insane. Yeah. That's so cool. All right, Katie, tell the besties where to find you, how to work with you, all the good stuff. I love it. Okay. Well, you can find me www.moneywithkatie.com. That's the website, the blog, all of our free resources, the newsletter, Money with Katie on Instagram and Twitter, and then the Money with Katie show, wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. All right. I will, I will post all those links in the description below. Thank and thank you. you so much, Katie. This was so fun. I feel like we need to have more conversations on the pod now. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Thank you. That was a blast. It flew by. Thank you for listening to Remote Work Bestie. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you want to tell me about the weirdest things that's ever happened to you at work or have any questions you'd like me to answer on the podcast, email remoteworkbestie at gmail.com. See you next week.